How awesome is that? <laughs> Get like shout outs when you're doing announcements. That's, that's fantastic. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you are with us today. We are on week number three of a series that we're doing here at Ignite uh, on the Holy Spirit called Ghosted. And so if you're uh, slightly more King James-ish, they used to refer to it as a Holy Ghost. And so we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're learning lessons from the uh, biblical book of Acts. We're kind of walking through it uh, a little bit. We're encouraging you to be reading through it on your own. And then we are, we are hitting some of the highlights from the book of Acts uh, as we walk through over the next, uh, over this kind of seven or eight week period. And we're talking, last week we talked about the power and the authority of Jesus' name to do miracles, right? We talked about and, and read uh, kind of a jaw-dropping story of, of uh, Peter and John uh, walking to the temple to pray, and uh, they get through the, the gate towards, uh, called Beautiful, and they see somebody there that's, that's lame, that can't walk. And they say, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. <laughs> right? I mean, we, were, we read that, we were like, man! And, and we talked about, and we'll see this again today a little bit, but, but throughout the book of Acts, we are empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, and even through today, right, uh, to do the things that Jesus did and to say the things that Jesus said. And for us with a Western mindset, it's a little bit mind-blowing to think that way. Typically, we tend to think of church and Christianity just we, we come and we sit in our pew or we sit in our seat and we kind of do the thing and we say, good message, pastor, and we walk out the door and then we just, we try to live good lives, but we don't really, we don't really think of following Jesus looking like what the book of Acts portrays. And so we're being stretched and we're being challenged to consider what if the Holy Spirit is still as strong as he was then? What if he is still doing uh, things that he did then? And what if he wants to do that in our lives? Let me, let me I want to start out there because again, I want to just keep painting that picture for, picture for us over and over and over. I want us to see the power and the working of the Holy Spirit and consider uh, what that means for us. And so I want to start out today, I'm going to do a whole bunch of scripture reading uh, here just to start out with, but I want you to actually see this and, and kind of take note. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to answer these questions. I'm going to, there's one question I'm going to read uh, a bunch of the end of Acts chapter 4 and all of, uh, we'll, we'll kind of skip over parts, but, but uh, most of chapter 5. And I want you to, an- to ask the question, where is the Holy Spirit at work in this passage? Fair enough? Where is the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to read, I'm going to start out with the last verse we, we looked at last week, just as sort of a reminder, but it should be an easy one to kind of get us going of where you can see the Holy Spirit at work. So last week we talked again about Peter and John, uh, their boldness, and you know, they, they heal this guy, then they get a chance to share the gospel. Right afterwards, persecution comes, which we said that often happens, right? There's power, there's proclamation, and then there's persecution. It seems to happen over and over and over again uh, throughout history, really. And so we were talking about that, but after persecution, so they're in jail, then they get released and sent home, and they're warned not to talk about Jesus anymore. And of course, that doesn't work very well. But they, they keep trying, and, and, and so they do that. They go back and re, rejoin the church, the other believers, and they pray together. And they pray for boldness. They pray for a working of the Holy Spirit, and they pray for, for p- power and proclamation, right, to, to be able to, to, to see the gospel, the, the message, the good news about Jesus go out and reach uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands more and this is how that, that, that particular passage, that pericope ends. It's Acts 4.31. Where's the Holy Spirit at work in this? Let's read this. It says, after they prayed, after they prayed those things, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Where do you see the Holy Spirit at work in uh, Acts 4.31? Okay, somebody said earthquake, right? The place that they were meeting was shaken. That's got to be God, right? Like, that's pretty pretty crazy. So there's an earthquake. What else? 
They're, what was that? They're filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a fresh sort of uh, imparting of the Holy Spirit on them. And then there's one more. What's, it, what's the other one? Boldly, right? They spoke the word boldly. There's a boldness piece of that in proclaiming the good news about Jesus. So same question. Next, next section, Acts 4.32 says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody who had need. So there's the question. Where, Where do you see the Holy Spirit at work in this passage? There's unity, right? There's, there's unity, clearly a work of the Holy Spirit. And then what, what else? What else? There's something else you see in there. Je, I mean, jaw-dropping kinds of generosity, right? Where they're, 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 take, they're selling property, they're selling houses, and they're taking all of the proceeds and laying it at the apostles' feet. I mean, again, clearly a move of the Holy Spirit. Because in our flesh, in our own selves, our own tendency is to hoard and to keep for me. And to, right, This is my money and my houses. And, my, and this is a work of the Holy Spirit that turns the whole thing on its head and says, no, it's about the glory of Jesus. It's about the mission of Jesus. It's about, right? I mean, it's about uh, his working and his church and his glory and all this kind of stuff. So uh, clearly a work of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going. Uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Where's the Holy Spirit at work here? This one's a little trickier. (laughs) Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it, and he put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land, or for the land? Uh, Verse 4, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your full disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, listen to this, he fell down and died. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Verse 6, then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price Uh, that you and Ananias got for this piece of land. Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at, at his feet and she died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, great fear sees the whole church in, in, in all those who heard about these events. Now, a little trickier, but where do you see the Holy Spirit at work in this passage? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like a, this word of knowledge, right? How did Peter know that that wasn't all money? There's no way he could have known except the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit gave discernment and wisdom and kind of a word saying, you know, you need to speak into this because this is deceitful. This is not true. What else, where else do you see him? Holy Spirit at work. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like the, the positive kind of thing that we tend to think of, of like, woohoo, more of the Holy Spirit. We're kind of like, I don't know. But there's, there's clearly God is, is, is behind this, right? So there's, there's death, and even then it talks a little bit about fear, and I'll, I'll use the term maybe even reverence or respect for the Lord, and, and to which I say, oh yeah. I mean, would fear seize the church? Absolutely. Like, who would like to be the next person that God prompts to say, hey, I want you to sell that land and bring the money and put it at the apostles' feet? I'd be like, here's a full accounting, Lord. Lord, I mean, I cashed the check. Here's the bulk of it, but I did buy a candy bar, and the person behind me in line needed two pennies to kind of round us, so I gave it to them. Please don't kill me. Right? I mean, you're kind of like, I mean, like, you'd be, you would be so, so careful. Like, but, but there's something powerful here, too, right? Where, where, I mean, like, and I think sometimes we do this as the church in, in North America where we tend to treat God flippantly. We, tr- we tend to treat the Holy Spirit flippantly thinking, I can live however I want because it's, you know, like, and, and there's something, something here, and I'll, I'll get to it in a second, something here where, where it's like, no, the church needs to back away and, and, and realize, yes, I have empowered you, but I am still God, <laughs> right? Like, it's still, it's still kind of my show. Now, quickly, I mean, is the issue here, and we'll just, just for clarity's sake, is the issue here that Ananias and Sapphira did not put in every penny that they owned in the offering plate? Is that what the issue is? Yes, it is. Let's take an offering. No, <laughs> no, I'm just, no, no, I just, I'm just kidding. No, no, that's not, that's clearly not the issue, right? In fact, two different places uh, in this, in this part where, where it says, didn't you own it all? Didn't you have all the money? Even after you sold it, wasn't it your money? You could have kept any part of it that you wanted. You could have kept all of it, right? You didn't have to, to come and put this in. But what's the issue then? What's the issue? What's the problem? Dishonesty, it's deception, right? It's, it's deception and hypocrisy, pretending that you are putting it all in the plate and not really doing that. Twice in the passage, again, it reminds us, it was all yours, but you lied. You deceived. And there's something about that that just gets in the way of, that God wants no part of having that be rooted in his church. Why? This is probably my, my uh, description of it. But a church, remember, who, who there's two primary things to, to the mission that God's given us. One is that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What's the second part? You'll be my witnesses. Do you think a deceptive witness is a big deal to God? If, they, if people can't trust us to tell the truth about little things like how we're spending our money or what we're giving, then how could they believe when we tell them there's a resurrected Jesus who cared enough that he died to say, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's a piece here where God's like, this is a big deal. Deception in the church pretending to be, you're just fine on your own, and you don't need the Lord. It's all, you know, you're all good, and you're better than you all. That's a big deal to God. Telling the truth, it's a big deal to God. Okay, I'm spending way too much time on this one, but, but there's no room for deception in God's church. But we see that at work. We see the Holy Spirit at work, right? We see God at work in a word of knowledge, in the death, and even in the, in the great respect, the fear, even the changing, perhaps, of values in the church in this era. Let's, let's keep going. Uh, Acts uh, 5.12 says this. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Again, keep, keep, keep looking for where's the Holy Spirit at work. No one else dared to join them after this. Can you believe that? Yes. And yet, even though they were, even though they were highly regarded people, and yet, uh, verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. 
As a result, people brought the sick into the streets. They laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And what does that say? And some of them, is that what it says? And what's this word right here? And all of them were healed. Again, wow. This one's a little easier. Where do you see the Holy Spirit at work? Healing. Where else? Signs, signs and wonders. Yep. I mean, it says uh, those tormented by impure spirits. <laughs> there, was, there was freedom coming to people that had uh, some, some demonic activity in their life. There's deliverance. There's healing. And in jaw-dropping kinds of ways, this, this is almost like tele-evangelist level, right? Typically, we would shy away from this kind of thing. Like, man, just my sh- if my shadow falls on you, right? You're like... Holy cow! And yet, the Holy Spirit still worked, was working in jaw-dropping kinds of ways. Why? So that the message and the mission of Jesus could go forth, so that the glory of Jesus could be seen, and people would know He is alive, right? It's, it's a big deal. We see in, in crazy kind of ways. Okay, one more, uh, and then I'll kind of... Um, I'll, I'll kind of get to our, our main point here for today. But, but uh, this, again... We're seeing this classic example. It happens a second time here. There's power, uh, right? There's healings, that kind of stuff. Persecution comes right after this. There's proclamation, then persecution comes right after that. That's what we're digging into. Uh, Acts 5, 17. I'm going to hit three spots throughout this chapter just to give you a little bit of an idea of what's happening. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates uh, who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. And so they go to get the apostles from the jail where they find they're not there, right? And so uh, well, they, they eventually uh, find them, and they say they're actually out preaching, right? Preaching, doing exactly what you told them not to do. And uh, so they said, well, why don't you go out and nicely ask them to come in and kind of tell us what's going on, right? We told you not to preach in his name, and you're doing it. And so let's jump ahead to verse 29. It says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we, so they're warning, well, why are you doing this? Said, well, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I mean, again, they, they couldn't uh, figure out what to do with these guys because they keep, they keep arresting them. God keeps setting them free. They keep telling them not to teach about him, and then they teach about him. And the, I mean, God's clearly doing good stuff. And so they have this little battle back and forth. They're like, what are we supposed to do with these guys? And, um, and then let's jump ahead to verse 40. This is, this is great. So this is what they decide. They call in the apostles... And they had them flogged, which, again, Roman flogging, we talk about this sometimes on Good Friday or whatever else. It was brutal, right? I mean, brutal. The, 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 the practice of the day was 39 lashes with stuff that would just rip open your skin and damage your organs. I mean, it's horrible. And so I want just get, keep that picture in mind. So they, the, uh, the apostles are called in. They had them flogged, and they ordered them not to speak in the name, the authority of Jesus anymore, and then they let them go. 
Now, listen to this, verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What's the name? The name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Where do you see the Holy Spirit at work in, uh, in those passages in chapter 5? Supernatural events, like angels letting you out of prison, perhaps? <laughs> like, yes. What else? Some... That you could rejoice after that kind of suffering. Again, that, that we tend to sometimes make that not spiritual, like just rejoicing. But holy cow, like that's got to be God. That's the Holy Spirit to come out of that and rejoice that you are counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Man, that is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. That is evidence of the power of God at work. Now, I just want you to just back off. I, let, let me just summarize some of what we've just said. So we've, in, in a chapter and a half in the book of Acts, we've seen healings. We've seen demons cast out. We've seen angels breaking people out of prisons. We've seen radical, jaw-dropping generosity. We've seen earthquakes, explosive growth, joy in suffering, and the gospel moving forth and multiplying at a rate that is unthinkable, unfathomable, just as, a, as more and more and more and more people come to know Jesus. Let me ask you this question. What if the Holy Spirit is still working like that today? What if there's power that in all honesty we know very little about? What if God is still wanting to show his glory and his power? If he still wants to take, if he still wants his church to be filled with power from on high and to be his witnesses in ways that the world can see and know that there is a living Jesus alive and at work in his people? Is it possible that God wants to do that in you? And if so, which I think the answer has to be yes, right? Is, is God, does God, God lack power? Has, has he somehow been limited since then, like 2,000 years ago? And if, if it's true that, that he could do it today, maybe even that he wants to do it, the, the question quickly becomes, am I willing to let him do it in me? Am I willing to learn to listen, to be filled with the Spirit afresh, to listen to the promptings, the leadings of the Holy Spirit, and to step out courageously and boldly where he leads, will I follow? I mean, even, even uh, it's, it's an interesting, in verse 32, where it says, it says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. It's an interesting verse. It's one of two different places that talks about that in, in uh, a few chapters in the book of Acts here. But it's, it's like, man, there, there is something to this of he fills us with his spirit. He prompts us. He'll, he'll call us out of our comfort zones again and again and again and again. And, and his question every time is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you follow me? And we step out and we see his power. We get opportunities to proclaim, point people to Jesus and say, man, he's amazing. You've got to come check him out. And then sometimes even persecution comes, right? There's, there's downsides or there's a cost to it. And again, then he comes again. He says, will you step out? Will you trust me? And we see and experience his power. And we we have opportunity to point people to Jesus. Sometimes, again, there's, a, there's cost that, 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 that's associated with short-term, temporary cost, not long-term, right? Long-term, there's value, there's benefit, there's treasure in heaven, there's all that kind of stuff. But is it possible that God wants to do that today in you? And are you open to living that out, to allowing him to fill and to speak and to work and to move in your life? Am I willing to do that in my life 
You know, Acts is interesting. It comes to an abrupt end in chapter 28. I mean, it's one of those things that you're reading through, and you're like, oh, man, this is amazing. This is jo- I'm reading. You get to 28, and you're like, oh, this is great. And it, it, but it kind of leaves you hanging. So it's, it's one of those, you like flip the page. You're like, what's next? And you're like, that's it. <laughs> like it, just sort of, it just sort of abruptly comes to an end. And most scholars uh, are, are in agreement. They think it's because... The, the, what, the message that's being communicated is, is it's still happening. Right? The book of Acts is still act, The Holy Spirit is still at work in his people. The church is still taking the message of Jesus to the world. He's still showing his power and his glory, and he's, he's sending us out to be his witnesses. He's still at work in our world. And the question is, are we a part of it? I mean, can you imagine we're in like chapter, I don't know, 89 or something. Acts chapter 89 could be about you. Right, It could be about the way that God is using you. The Holy Spirit has empowered you and sent you out and, and asked you to step outside of your comfort zone right, and into his kingdom realm where he can see, where we can see and experience his power, where people can come to know Jesus and he can be glorified in our lives. Well, I'll tell you what, kind of along those lines, I, was, uh, I had a good plan for this week about where I was going and, uh, and where, what I was going to be preaching on, and I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of gave me a little bit of a right turn, and so uh, I'm preaching on something I wasn't really planning uh, to, to preach on until yesterday, and so uh, I want, just with this being election week, I just feel like the Spirit was saying, man, preach on this, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zero in on Acts 6, 1 through 7. Uh, don't worry, we've hit a lot of other scripture. This is just, it, it, there's, there's basically one point that I think is, is maybe uh, relevant for us this week. And so I want to read Acts 6, 1 through 7. I'll, I'll teach next week on what I was going to teach on this week. But it uh, says this, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now again, pause button. This is several years after Pentecost. Again, scholars guesstimate at this point there, there might have, there's maybe 25,000 believers at this point. So it went from 120, right, uh, and, and when Jesus died to about 500 at his resurrection to 3,000 uh, at Pentecost. We're now up to 25,000. So there's people coming to know Christ all the time. Amazing, but also this causes some problems as we'll see next uh, Next verse, it says, the Hellenistic Jews among them, uh, so in the days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Verse 2, so the, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, uh, Timon, uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And verse 7, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. In a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, there's a couple of different lenses that, that when I read through this, I, I read it with. And the first one, and this is kind of my knee-jerk reaction, is a leadership lens, right? Like, you're like, this is classic organizational theory, right? Like, when organizations grow and they grow rapidly, suddenly you hit, you hit some plateaus. There's areas where, and needs that aren't getting met because there's too much going on. And, and so, in fact, we, we read this, I read this passage with a few of our leaders uh, a few months ago, some of our team leaders a few months ago. And we talked about this passage that when growth happens, I 
a lot of times there, things will, you know, will bubble up to the surface and people will be like, I'm not being fed. I was, I was laughing and saying, uh, it's hilarious that even in the, even in the Acts church, right, people were, were complaining that they weren't being fed, right? I guess that's like classic North American Christianity of like why people go from church to church to church. They're like, well, I just wasn't being fed there, right? Kind of, kind of things like that kind of, I'm like, even in the, in the Acts church, even in Jesus church, this is the, the case early on. But this, it happens and there's some real and legitimate needs that kind of kind of bubble up to the surface and uh and there's some ways that they respond right they they appoint some some others and it's a pretty cool thing but i you can read it through kind of a leadership lens and and that kind of stuff and and uh, and I even talked about uh, with our with our team leaders. I said, man, I think even during COVID, there's part of this I resonate with. Saying, man, I feel like I'm neglecting the 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 ministry of the word and, and neglecting prayer in some ways uh, to wait on tables, if if you will. And it, all I mean is like uh, during COVID, it was it was a little bit of a one man show for a while, right? Where I was I was trying to lead worship and teach, and we were trying to do all this kind of stuff. And our our volunteers have been down, and so we've been trying to wear a lot of hats and do setup and all all this kind of stuff. And and uh, we kind of talked about as a team, man, we, we have got to appoint some other godly leaders that can own some of the weight that can kind of carry this forward. And it, kind of along those lines, uh, Molly mentioned this earlier, so like in two weeks, we're going to have a, a meeting to hopefully confirm our first two elder candidates. And, and that's one of the ways that we are kind of multiplying and saying, uh, we think the book of Acts is the model for this, but, but uh, we think that the church should be led not by one person, but by a plurality of leaders, right? Like a, a group of us that are, that, have, that are biblically qualified, that are full of the Holy Spirit and faith, right? I mean, uh, and, and character and wisdom and all this kind of stuff, uh, and that, that should be leading forward together. We feel like that's the biblical model, and so we're super excited to have, uh, to be adding two more people to the team, uh, to the elder team uh, right now, to, so that the three of us can kind of be uh, partners in leading this thing forward. And I, like I said, it's, it's great, and it's awesome, and there's, and to look at this through a leadership lens, I think to some degree, rightly so, there's, there's some lessons to be learned here, and yet what I want to focus in on for the rest of our time is a different kind of lens. I want, to, I want us to read through and, and think about this passage, uh, not from necessarily just a leadership lens, but I want to, here's what I want to focus in on, is that there's division that's happening in the church uh, in Acts chapter 6. And it's not just, you know, some people that are disgruntled or some, you know, some church hoppers or whatever that aren't getting what they want, so they're mad and kind of stirring up trouble or something. No, this, here's what's happening. There's one cultural group that's being served, that is uh, being given special treatment, that are, that are having their needs met, while, while others of other backgrounds are being overlooked. And it's a big deal in the church. There's division that happens, or potential division, between the Hebraic Jews, those that were actually from Israel that spoke Hebrew, right? Those that were Hebrew speakers, and the Hellenistic Jews, which is basically Jews from every other country in the world, right? Every, every other uh, country around them. And then there's this division that starts taking place, division that's taking place over the taking care of widows. Now, to explain this, I kind of got to give a little background, but just Jerusalem, uh, people in that day, Jews in that day, thought of Jerusalem as the city of God because it had the temple, and the temple was sort of their, uh, again, their picture of the temple was the place where God's physical manifestation, his presence, most fully dwelt. So if you wanted to be close to God, you didn't necessarily just drop to your knees, but you went to the temple, right? People made pilgrimages back to Jerusalem and that kind of thing because they wanted to be near to God. And so when Jews 
that were outside of Jerusalem, and it could be from Israel or from outside when, when especially widows would get older in their life, when they would be com- coming to the end of their lives, they would move back to Jerusalem so that they could be near to God when they died. That's what they, they, they did. And so scores of widows from all over Israel and all over the region would come back and, and they wanted to be close to God and near to God when, uh, when they died. And so, as you can imagine, widows in that day did not have, most of the time, did not have ways to earn money, most of whom did not have lots of income and that kind of stuff. So they were in need. And so the church, this, this fledgling little church of Jesus, right, these new believers that have rapidly grown but is, not, is only a few years old, they start seeing this and say, you know what, we as representatives of Jesus, we ought to do something. And so they're moved to compassion, which is a good thing, and they start feeding and helping to take care of the widows. The problem is they only take care of some of the widows, right? They're like, well, we, this division starts to... To, to, to develop this potential split even in the church starts to, to develop because they're like, well, why don't we take care of our widows and maybe they can take, somebody else can take care of them. We can't, we can't take care of everybody. We'll just take care of ours and let those people over there, maybe their people can take care of them. Now, it's interesting. Probably the number of um, the number of Jews, Hebraic Jews, is probably in the minority, including the 12th, right? And they are dictating now, they've got the power position, and they're dictating policy about how the majority should operate, and, and they're overlooking people. Now, it's, it's a little bit like uh, perhaps saying, uh, you know, we're not really crazy about those people being in our church, Right? It's, it's kind of got that kind of energy and that kind of attitude. And so this is like coming to a crisis. This is coming to a head. And suddenly some of the church begins to step up and say, wait, I'm not sure this is right. Right there, and again, go back. We, we talked about this two weeks ago. Acts one eight is sort of the, the setup for the entire book of Acts. And it says, but you will receive, what's the word? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses where? Just in Jerusalem, you'll be my witnesses just in Jerusalem, our little Hebrew speaking, is that what it says? No, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, but where else? In Judea? Well, this is fine. We're, so far, we're still good. What about Samaria? Uh, Samaria is someplace Jews did not like. They didn't like the people there. They didn't like These are non-Jewish Gentiles, and they were considered very much second-class citizens. Like, we don't really like those people. And how about the, the ends of the earth, right? So, so there's this clash, and they're like, you know, this, this gets at the heart of the gospel. In fact, I would go so far as to say, this is Acts chapter 6 that we're talking about today, right? If Acts, if, if this is sort of a test that's happening in the church of Jesus, and if if, if they fail the test in chapter 6, I'm not sure there's a chapter 8 and beyond. What I mean by that is this. If Christianity, if the message about Jesus ends up being, if it ends up being a religion only for Hebrew-speaking Jews, then what happens to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? What happens to Gentiles? They get left out of the deal. Now, why would that matter to us? Because we're Gentiles, right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, again, God is still sovereign. He's on the, th- but, but apart from reacting and responding in, in, in a way that's honoring to God, I'm not sure we'd be here today. You see what we're saying? 
It's a big deal. It gets at the heart of the gospel. And so there's this, there's this tension. There's an opportunity here for either a church split or an opportunity for unity. And, and of course, uh, what we see is, is, is a pretty amazing response. The, the 12, the, this um, issue gets raised and brought to the 12, and they respond in a good way, right? And they say, you know what? Here's the thing. This is, and I think, I think this, too, is a working of the Holy Spirit where they... Some people raise this issue and say, you know, it's not, I don't think this is fair. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's good that you're choosing Hebrews over the rest of the world. And the apostles basically say, you know what? You're right. Division and disunity, elevating one group above another, choosing, right, choosing one people. That is not the way for, that's not the way of the gospel. That's not the way of Jesus. And so they say, you know, here, here's what needs to happen. We're going, we want you, in fact, to, uh, to nominate, we'll say, but we want you to come up with people who are full of God, who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we are going to give them power and authority. We're going to give them resources to take care of all the Right, to, 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 to do what is right. And again, even here, it's so easy for us to read division. Like, we have, but, but they're like the super apostles, right, up here. And then they're going to choose seven people, and they'll be kind of like underneath them organizationally. Like there'll be an org chart, and they're down here somewhere. They're like junior apostles, maybe, right? They're like maybe deacons or something. Like that. But these are like the apostles. These are the 12. This is the whatever. You know what? If you keep reading, we'll look at this a little bit more next week. But if you would read the rest of the chapter, you will see it's not the case at all. In fact, Stephen, who is one of the seven that's chosen, he's sort of the, 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 the main one we read about in the book of Acts. He is so filled with power and the Spirit, verse 8 tells us, in fact, so filled with the Spirit that we read jaw-dropping kinds of miracles that come out of this guy. I mean, like, literally, like, just, Wow! It's, it's like the Holy Spirit is, is giving validity to their ministry and saying, you know, it's not like this, it's like this. Because, because in God's economy, there's not a hierarchy. You know what the hierarchy is? It's God, right? It's God, God the Son and the Spirit. It's God, the triune God, and then everybody else. Right? Like this is, and our job is to follow him, to live our lives submitted to and empowered by his Spirit so that we can be his witnesses and bring his kingdom to come in our lives, in our world, as it is in heaven. That's the, that's the gig, right? That's the whole shebang. The problem here is that, is that uh, something is out of whack. Something is out of alignment. The temptation of the church in Acts chapter 6 is one of division. In fact, uh, this is just a freebie I'll, I'll just throw out there for you. But... Uh, as we kind of read through the book of Acts, you can see three different temptations so far. In Acts 2 through 4, Satan's work against the church, the temptation, is one of direct persecution. The temptation is that they just give up because it's too hard and too painful, but they don't. In Acts chapter 5, the Ananias and Sapphira story that we just read, Satan's work and the temptation is for the church to become corrupt. Right? For it to be a corrupt church and therefore lack power. In Acts chapter 6, though, the temptation, the way that Satan is working, trying to destroy, is by dividing his church. And that's a huge deal in the church. In fact, Jesus talks about this in John 13, 35, where he says this. He says, you know, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you what? If you love one another. 
It's something about the way that you and I interact in unity and submission and love to God and to one another, right? There's something about that that will let the world know that Christ is alive, that he's on the throne, that he's powerful and at work in his people, right? And when we bicker and destroy, when we, when we turn against one another, when we, instead of moving towards and learning to love one another, when we call names and we point fingers and we do all this kind of stuff, it destroys the work of God in our midst. It leaves the church, in all honesty, it leaves the church powerless and impotent. Instead of more and more and more, instead of the word going forward and more and more and more people finding Jesus and becoming disciples and being raised up, the opposite happens. The problem in Acts chapter 6 is that the church didn't know how to have relationships with people that were different from them. They didn't know how to love people that were different from them. They had to learn to embrace and empower people that were different from them, care for, even give to those who are different from them for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the mission, and for the sake of the glory and honor of Jesus Now, again, this might seem like a simple kind of leadership issue, but let me assure you, this is the working of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts chapter 6. And in all honesty, I think it's what the the Holy Spirit's trying to do today in North America, in Illinois, in Peoria, in us. Because I think, man, this this is election week. Do you think there's any division in our country right now? Even Blake was mentioning during prayer time this morning, he's like, man, just pray for our country. He's like, I feel like we're just on the verge of like chaos and anarchy, right? Like with election and whoever wins, there's going to be backlash and whoever loses, there's going to be, I mean, it's like, it's like this big thing. Our world is incredibly divided. Our country incredibly divided right now. Our ch- the church is even incredibly divided. I have friends, uh, a part of this church and that are part of the, the kingdom in this area who are on social media screaming at the top of their lungs. The, the, the ironic, uh, you know, for a candidate or for a, what, a cause or whatever, the ironic thing is they're, they're on different sides and they're yelling and pointing fingers at each other and they it's very similar to Acts chapter 6. There's sort of a hierarchy where we think our side is right and everybody else is just an idiot where we overlook or demean or put down people who vote different from us, who think different from us, who look different from us, who speak different. Right? Like there's, this, there's this whole potential for division where, where the, again, the enemy is at work trying to rip us apart. And yet it's also an opportunity for the, the true church to rise up in unity, right? In love, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim one message and one gospel about one Savior and one God and one Spirit who has come for us. It's an opportunity for the church to rise up. And I just think, man, if ever there was a time, it's got to be now, right? I think the Holy Spirit is just speaking and just encouraging us. Man, anytime there's, there's a work that's trying to divide us, that's trying to discourage us, can I just say it's the result of sin and most likely the enemy is behind it. Right? I read this quote a month ago or so. I shared it with you, but I'll, I'll share it one more time if you can pop that forward. Craig Grishaw, I think it's a great quote. He says, one of our spiritual enemy's greatest schemes is to divide the body of Christ because if we're united, we are just about unstoppable in what we can do through Christ for the glory of God. We can see God's kingdom come on earth in power, but if we're divided, we're deluded, weak, and ineffective in the way that God would want want to use us. And it's true, right? The enemy's oldest scheme is to divide us, and it's the same thing he's trying to do today. If we can respond, though, 
the way the early church did with, wis- you know, with wisdom and with a fullness of the Spirit in this season. Refusing to let d- division win the day, but learning to love and embrace and live out the mission of Jesus together in unity. You know what can happen? It's the same as Acts chapter 6, verse 7, right? I mean, it's the, the same thing. If we can learn to live out that biblical community, that biblical unity, the word of God will spread and keep on spreading. The number of disciples will increase rapidly and large numbers of people will become obedient to the faith in Christ. You know, throughout this series, uh, we've been challenged to, to sort of live a life that's filled with the Spirit, living out the mission of Jesus together. And we've been kind of talking about the same application every week, and I'll get to that in a second. But if I can just say, man, I wonder if this week, especially with all the division, all the, all the junk going, all the temptations to split us apart, I wonder if you and I could be receptive to the Spirit and open to the Spirit and even praying and looking for opportunities where we might be able to step across a divide into relationship with people that are different from us people that vote differently from us, people that think differently than us, that look differently than us, that might have a completely different, you know, ideological framework about life and everything. Stepping into relationship and asking some questions, just getting to know somebody first before we judge and condemn and call down and all this kind of stuff. What if we were just to move towards people, get to know their story, Learn, to, learn about their family, right? Learn about what's important and what matters. Look for ways to love and serve and move towards people. I read this quote. That was a great quote. It's a quote and a question um, this week, and I, I just want to pose it to you. It says, Satan, unhappy with the expansion of Christ's kingdom, sowed murmuring and gossip and jealousy and envy amongst the church, hoping to set believer against believer. And the question I found myself asking is, how is Satan trying to do that today? How is he trying to do that in our church? How is he trying to do that in your groups, in the groups that you're a part of, in the, in the relational world in which you live? The, the enemy is still trying to kill and steal and destroy anything that's of God. But Christ has come to give us life, Right? To re- he's got a plan for his church and part of his plan is to fill us with his spirit and his power to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to him and then he sends us out on mission how can we live that today how can we be open and looking for opportunities to step towards people and to love and honor carry out the mission in ways uh, that reflect who he is you with me you with me on that Okay, I'm going to just, I'll kind of highlight, um, this is kind of what we've been asking you to do. This is kind of just the general framework for what we're asking you to do uh, throughout the series is just, would you be willing to read through the book of Acts uh, together? We've been reading five chapters a week. It's one chapter a day. It's about five to ten minutes. Ten minutes would be long, but something like that, five to ten minutes a day. Would you be willing to read through the book of Acts? This week we're going to be reading uh, through chapters 11 through 15. And so would you be willing to read through it just a little bit at a time? And as you read it, don't just read it for information's sake, not right here, but would you be willing to read it devotionally, just sort of opening yourself up and saying, God, how do you want me to live as a result? What are you saying to me? Would you speak, Holy Spirit, through your word? And then as he prompts us, would you step out?
right? Would you do what he tells you to do? He's empowered us to do what Jesus did and to say what Jesus said. So would you look for ways that the Holy Spirit's prompting you as you read through that? I would just so strongly encourage you to be doing this, right? To be reading this and opening yourself up to God like that. Uh, he's got good stuff. And so our second thing we've been saying is, would you be willing to pray, right? Would you be willing to just pray? Well, uh, last week we talked, we read that fantastic prayer about boldness, right? Just inviting the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, right? And to, to, to give us boldness to proclaim his word, to follow him uh, in, in the promptings that he gives us by his spirit. And, uh, and to even just do signs and wonders, just do what only he can do in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus. Right? I mean, we just start praying that way and again, looking for opportunities and then taking action on how, what he prompts you to do. Third one is would you, would you look for opportunities and pray for opportunities that you can be a witness for Jesus this week? Again, instead of sowing disunity, could you sow unity? Could you point? There's only, it, it, the most important thing in all of life is not Democrat, Republican. It's not socioeconomic. It's not different cultures or the right languages or the right people. The, there's one thing that matters, and it's Jesus Christ, right? It's, it's Jesus and him glorified. It's the cross, the resurrection, and the life that's available to all. The forgiveness and freedom and new life that he makes available to all through faith in Christ what if we made the main thing the main thing? What if we looked for opportunities this week to be witnesses, to shine for Jesus in what we say and what we do? And then the fourth one is just, and I, we should just take note. Sometimes I think we're just oblivious to how the Holy Spirit's at work, right? We just miss it. We, we think, oh, well, that was just a leadership issue we were talking about in chapter 6. That was the Holy Spirit. Or we, you know... I mean, they can be, look like all kinds of things. Yes, sometimes the signs and miracles we get, and we can recognize that, but there's a lot of other ways the Holy Spirit is working, how he's speaking, he's directing, how he's shaping us, how he's bringing his word to mind in our, in our, uh, in our minds, and at the exact right moment that we need it to take action on it. I was telling uh, a couple guys earlier this week, man, there's a whole passage uh, we've been, uh, the guys have been, I've been reading through uh, Luke at the same time as we're reading through Acts, and there was a whole passage that's talking about uh, about relationship stuff and and uh, and loving those who are hard to love and forgiving those who forgive and doing good to them and giving to those who ask and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, I just wish it wasn't in there this week, right? Because God's all over it. I've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity where the Holy Spirit's bringing this up and saying, yeah, you need to do that right here and right now. You know, take out your checkbook, right? Forgive that person. You know, step move. Move across, step across the line and love on you, whatever. There's one opportunity after another. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit at work in my life. And he does the same thing. Part of his job is to remind us of the word and to bring the word to life. And say, this is how you need to live. Walk in it, right? So let's be looking for opportunities. Man, if you've got God stories of ways you're seeing the Holy Spirit show up in your life as you're kind of learning to, to look for him, I would love to hear him. Send me emails, russ at ignitechurch.org, or send me a text, and, uh, and let me know of ways that you are seeing and experiencing the Holy Spirit at work in your life. All right? Fair enough? All right, you know what? Uh, why don't we stand up, if you're willing, just stand uh, with me right now. And uh, I'm just going to encourage you, if, if you're willing, just to kind of pray with me and maybe, maybe open your hands like this just, just as a way to kind of surrender, invite the Holy Spirit in, but also just surrender and say, God, have your way in me. Let's take a second and just listen and invite the Holy Spirit to even speak and help us apply what we've been talking about today.
God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, I thank you even just for the book of Acts and the ways this is stretching me and and challenging me to live my life with you and in your power and on mission with you. And I pray that for us as a church as well. God, would you give us a real sensitivity? Would you open our ears and our eyes to recognize your Holy Spirit at work in us? Would you fill us afresh with your power, with your spirit? Send us out, give us boldness. Send us out on mission to live for you uh, and, and to say the, the things that Jesus said, but also to do the things that Jesus did. And part of that, God, is I pray this week in a, in a divisive era, God, would you bring unity in your church? I pray, God, if there are areas or people, faces, even relationships, uh, where we need to, to, to step out, to walk across the room, to, to love or invite somebody over or take a next step with somebody, would you bring those people to mind? even right now, God. Would you help us to be uh, quick to listen and, uh, and quick to follow where you lead? And I pray, God, that, uh, that the book of Acts would continue in us and through us as we follow you. Would you be glorified here in your church? Would you live out your mission through us as we leave from this place? Would you bring your kingdom your kingdom come, and your will be done in us this week, God, and through us. It's in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, this is the part of our service where we typically uh, give of our tithes and offerings, and uh, as Molly mentioned,